Minjay, I have some good news and some bad news. Oof, what's that? Well, the first part of the good news is it's your birthday. It's your birthday. And in my (laughs) tradition of surprising my guests with unsolicited singing, (laughs) happy birthday to you. Okay, that's enough. Well, oh, man. The, the other good news is that I didn't sing it twice like we're supposed to do while washing our hands during this pandemic. So <laughs> thank goodness Indeed. for small favors. Indeed. But for everyone else, even more good news for episode 10 of Insider Interviews with me, E.B. Moss. The birthday celebration is for my amazing guest, Minjay Orms. You are the chief marketing officer of Visible... And that's like a new kind of phone service, new-ish, I guess, anymore from Verizon. Got it. And you're getting a lot of visibility lately with a new ad campaign. So, hey, Minjay. Hi. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. You know, we we started talking about this. Uh, we always seem to be challenged in our recording because truly the last time I spoke to you, it was like about, I think, a year and a half ago on a rainy night yeah. in a really noisy New York City restaurant. I kept waving the waiter away, right? <laughs> no, right. we don't need anyone. We're just talking. <laughs> and now I can't even be in a restaurant with you if I wanted to. But I know it's going to be a great conversation. We have a lot to talk about from uh, current affairs, in all seriousness, to your current campaign, and really how things have grown and evolved with. I think it's now the sophomore year for your brand. Yeah. Yay. You're right. You're right. So that leads us to the not so good news. And I want to address this. We are mid shut in to protect us from COVID-19. But today we are all trying to shut down as it's also blackout Tuesday. Um, we're facing one of the most serious crises of our country in decades and my city and, and so many others are mid protest against bigotry and brutality. And I'm taking a little extra time to explain during this lead in um, as this is really going to inform some of our discussion today about your personal and professional challenges and your solutions. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm going on, but I want to explain that we almost opted out of recording today. Uh, But since this won't air for a few days and you do have so much to share, I wanted to keep our appointment and capture your comments. And so with that, moving on with episode 10 of Insider Interviews. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with confirming your your health and well-being and what is now what, Colorado? Yeah. I've been in Colorado now a couple of years, and really none of us expected to be working from home for as long as we have and will be. But all things considered, we're doing well. The girls transitioned very well into virtual learning. So we're looking down the summer to see how do we spend our time maybe differently? Because I think one of the challenges that I have myself and I hear a lot from people is work was always on top of life but now it's literally on top of our lives so the it's more challenging to create separation between i think the time and the space that we used to count on and being more deliberate about 
creating that space. Yes. And how old are your children? I have two girls. One just finished fourth grade and the other finished kindergarten. Well, so their favorite activity as they are home is? Uh, Well, fourth grader, I can't get her out of books, which is a good thing. (laughs) And the kindergartner, she is a spunky spirit. So just to give you a sense of it, for her sixth birthday, she got an electronic drum set. (laughs) And we talked about the good news and the bad news. And there you go. There's more of it. Okay. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Well, you know, in coming out of that kind of long introduction, I also want to acknowledge that uh, your your parent company, we can call Verizon your parent company, yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just announced that it's investing $10 million in social justice organizations, including the Urban League and NAACP and uh, a few others. And I also want to immediately acknowledge, also by way of explaining visible a little bit, that New York City faced some really serious looting this week by the few who acted violently among the majority of peaceful protesters. And in the melee, many, many stores were impacted and and certainly landmarks as well. But that included a downtown Verizon store that was completely stripped bare of all in-store goods. And we're all really grateful that no Verizon employees were injured. And as they say, property can be replaced, but lives can't. So this is kind of a clumsy transition while our hearts are broken. And this is a podcast about media and marketing. So you're in charge of marketing a division of Verizon that doesn't have a retail front at all. That's right. So Tell us about that by way of explaining the product. Yeah. Um, so when we started Visible and when I first met you around that time, really the focus of wanting to um, start this journey was seeing what consumers wanted, meaning uh, your phone service is something that's in your pocket all day long or at your fingertips. And Yet, it's something that people don't often think about or give credit to in a good way. (laughs) And so how do we, first and foremost, create the kinds of experience that people expect now across industries, just the simplicity, the seamless with which, but also humanity with which you show up as a brand and a business. So really, the premise of our business model has been how do we utilize the strengths of Horizons Network um, and what we can offer to people in our product, which is the phone service, Um, but marry that with um, the best of what people are utilizing now to buy things, browse for things, so the e-commerce platform. So from day one, our storefront has been really visible.com and the app that goes with it um, to be able to stand out differently and hopefully also um, cater to those folks who may not necessarily have relied on going into physical stores to do their business in other areas of their lives. Mm. And so the brand has been growing and is it even two years yet we just uh, passed the two-year mark in early may so as you said that's right i I did see birthday greetings for someone else yes (laughs) okay well that's great so how has the messaging evolved yeah that's a good question so one of the things 
that we noticed recently is, you know, as every other business and all of us as individuals experienced back in March, we had to take a moment, like what's exactly going on? How do we assess? How do we listen and watch for what's coming out in terms of data, but also people's feelings and reactions to figure out what is our place, what continues to happen, what doesn't change, or what needs to change. And so take the store example as, as you know, one of the reference points. That's one of the messages that actually we went to market with back in 2018, 2019, when we first introduced the business to public. Arguably, that wasn't actually one of the top drivers for which people were coming to check us out. And so recently, as we're evaluating our messages and the places that we were showing up, and most importantly, seeing towards end of March going into April that our traffic and and some of the KPIs were actually picking right back up, which told us that phone service is, again, one of those things that people rely on no matter what happens, if not more so now, because people are physically apart. We, We retested the old creative to see, hey, does this no store thing order from the couch, that value proposition resonate with people more? And sure enough, that became one of the top drivers in recent weeks as to why people are intrigued by who we are and what we're selling and ultimately offering to be able to be helpful to them. So it's it's been an interesting exercise both in listening, but also especially in the constrained environment in which we all of us as marketers operate, the fact that we can't really do creative production the way it used to. So it created spaces for us to think about what's old is new and new is old again, and, you know, different ways to ultimately listen to consumers and what they're telling us implicitly and explicitly for us to follow their lead on. So that was interesting because the current ad um, which I think we'll get to this in a second is on broadcast TV too, but you clearly had voiceover and some of your trademark really fun and upbeat sort of animation. It was like product focus. Mm -hmm. And so there was no issue with having diverse representation of talent or anything like that. Yeah. But I'd like you to describe that ad because I have a question about it. Yeah. So the new message that we have in market right now, as you said, Evie, it's it's a pretty straightforward message about who we are as a business and what we offer as a product. And I have to tell you, the, the creative process behind it actually was anything but straight line. <laughs> Because we started thinking about that campaign a couple months back from the perspective of where do we go from here and how do we show up. And so we have some other messages in market right now that were the initial thought starters that spoke more directly to kind of the emotional aspect of where we all are as people and um, businesses. Not to say that's past because the way we feel comes and goes and it it really is different for everybody right but what we ultimately decided to go to market with and which is the spot that you described was more based on the first and foremost telling people who what we're about who we are very very straightforward way the value proposition around the fact that 
we're on Verizon's network, single line price, first month is $25, unlimited data, which we've seen in recent data points, that's the number one thing that people care about. But mm -hmm. to your point, this this is another instance of what is old is new for us <laughs> because we had shot that creative visually last year. And what we had done was we refined some of the voiceover and the end card with the same talent. Chris is one of the talent on Sesame Street. <laughs> so he lent us uh, his time and voice again to refresh what we had pre previously because what we believed was, look, the reason we think we need to show up right now in these channels and these ways is to double down on who we've always been. Like this isn't about us changing who we are because of everything is going on, but this is what we've been training for as a business. And so if we see that there are opportunities for us to be able to offer a product that is both of quality and value, let's go out there and tell more people about it. And so even down to the marketing creative that we ended up going to market with was really looking backwards, forwards, every which way, but deciding on the message that we thought we already had that told the best story about who we've always been and who we are now. And part of that message is, frankly, that you've trimmed the fat, that you're sort of the, the streamlined version of, you know, your grandfather's mobile service, maybe, and that by eliminating things like storefronts and myriad other things, you pass the savings along. So mm -hmm. I hear two things. One is that you have heard from feedback that that price and data is most important to the consumer now, and that the emotional appeal that so many marketers sing the song about, that that yeah. actually has taken a bit of a backseat. So is that, do you think, give me what I need and we'll get back to the emotion later? Do you think consumers are tired of mm -hmm. a little bit of the violin strings of emotion? Tell me about current thinking. I guess I'll answer the, lot, the second question first and tie it back to the first, which is to say, I, I, I would say our, our message right now isn't necessarily devoid of or the emotions have taken a backseat, but it's a different emotion than perhaps you know what was out there quite a bit in in the past six to eight weeks let's say because the challenge and the opportunity we have as a new brand is that not as many people know about us so this is in many ways an introduction coming out however you position it and so at the same time because we were mindful of where everybody's perspectives or emotions may be, but not making assumptions around it uh, and try to change ourselves to accommodate to everybody's feelings that we would just be making assumptions about. And what I mean by that is we've always been a brand that's been on the lighter side in terms of the tone and the voice look and feel because that was one of the ways in which we've been laying foundation to stand out 
you know, again, as you know, in this category as a new brand, in order for us to stand out, break through, and earn the right to have somebody's attention, we need to have both the product that matters, but also the message that will catch people's attention. And so with that approach and how we've built the brand to date, it didn't necessarily make sense for us to suddenly take a 180 pivot and try to emulate the feeling you may get from watching an Olympics ad that CPG brand created. So we had to really be thoughtful about not losing sight of who we are, but also being sensitive to where people are. So I would say that's probably the insight that led to where we are as the message in itself. And and the other insight around the feelings part of it is when we talk to a lot of our partners, right, whose platforms we are showing up with these messages, number one thing that they told us and number one thing we've seen our in our social um, feeds is that people were looking for slivers of hope and positivity. And so even with everything that's going on right now, we as a brand are listening a ton to see where and how can we deliver most impact mm-hmm. through action and therefore message? And how does mm-hmm. that message come from a place of forward looking? I think the passion and how charged the emotions can be in these circumstances are absolutely valid and something that we need to pay attention to and never look away. And at the same time, what do you do with that information is incredibly important to us as a business to look forward and and move forward with the progress momentum. So that's probably what you are seeing in in even the messages we made a few weeks ago and the campaigns that we went to market even before this this ad specifically went out there, which was a social campaign truly led by people helping with each other. Oh, is that the um, visible acts of kindness? You got it. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Tell tell everybody about that. Okay. So when back in again, let's dial time back for a second. Back in March, we were again listening to see, okay, what, where are we and how do we need to change how we show up? to be most helpful and relevant to people. And if we're gonna say something, we need to have substance behind it. So the Visible Acts of Kindness campaign came together really from that listening process in which, again, as you remember, and many folks are still going through it right now, of how hard it was to realize the magnitude of not only the public health crisis that is COVID, but the immediate and what will unfortunately be a lasting economic impact that is going to continue to increase the opportunity gap for those who are most disadvantaged and most impacted. So when we thought through that, is there a way in which you can show up as a business that can lead from a place of hope and positive and forward-looking momentum? Initially, it was hard right? Because we wanted to make sure we are part of a space and creating spaces Mm -hmm. in which we can sit with the magnitude of feelings and tangible economic impact that people were going through and processing. But then when we started to, again, hear from our members, communities of other, you know, influencers we've worked before, as well as many of the social platforms, what started to emerge was these pockets of 
kindness, pockets of people offering small and big gestures to each other, everything from very lighthearted things like, I mean, you just saying happy birthday to me, like that made my day, like things like that to people telling stories about their loved ones or friends who are in the front lines as nurses and doctors or, you know, other essential workers who are right now actually driving the wealth creation of this country and how they're putting themselves out, out there at the risk of their own health, but to serve other people. So when, when we saw that, we wanted to amplify it. We don't have the biggest platform, but we have a platform. So how do we use that in that moment was incredibly important to us. So we decided to move some of our marketing budget because frankly, right now, as much as we're a believer as a brand that is invisible in things like experiential efforts. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, we're rethinking what that looks like. But secondly, we wanted to utilize those resources to do something in the moment to help. So that became the campaign that is Visible Acts of Kindness, where we ourselves, our members, influencers partner together to ask for stories of these kindness that people were seeing or have been given. And we surprise a number of people with $250 in Amazon gift card to those who initiated that gesture of kindness sort of as a way to continue to hopefully perpetuate that kind of kindness out there and really amplify those stories that people were looking for to seek hope to hold on to, you know, the goodness of people in in these hard times. Do you have a favorite story that came out of that? Gosh. Yeah, there's just so mm-hmm. many, but I I will tell you the one that I can't let go of is an outreach, a message from one of our members, actually. And she is a teen in New York City, and she's homeless. She had reached out just privately to us, you know, to say, hey, thanks for doing this. And, you know, here's where my situation is. Anything you can do to help amplify, you know, the situation that we're in as homeless population in the middle of a global pandemic would be really helpful. And so my team and this member, we exchanged a few messages and, you know, we sent her a gift card in ways that we can, you know, truly be helpful to her. But but that's the thing is like, that's one individual story and goes to show you like, this is why EBI talked a lot about like your ears off last time we talked, but also now of, of the business we're in and why I truly believe in what we're doing because we have to change the perspective and definition of what value means. Because in, I think, corporate settings, the value as a definition when we're talking about the, the opportunity in consumers has largely been defined in numbers and meaning it's it's about... It's in dollars or data points or... Or, or even like it's cheap you know, you get what you get for the money you pay for. And there's this kind of implicit idea that this is all you're going to get because that's what you can afford. Whereas with a service like a phone service, it's your lifeline to a lot of people. And it's, it's your connection to your work, your friends, your family. And so it's an equalizer, for everybody that should be available accessibly, simply, affordably, easily. And and so that story stuck with me because her story illustrates to you that one, like homelessness in America does not look 
and feel like what most people imagine. Mm. These are working people who make lives, even though they do not have a roof over their heads, but barely ask for any help and they're self-sufficient. And you know what we say about value product can help, yes, those people, but we cannot as companies make assumptions about why people make valued driven choices. It's not always because, oh, you're poor and you don't have enough money and this is the only thing you can afford. We have to build the best kind of a business and a product that can be a feel good choice for everybody in quality and not just the price point. I love the way you put that and that truly humanized a product like mobile phone service for me when when you kind of couched it that way. So I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate though. You you yep. added broadcast television I think for the first time to your media mix. Yes. And of course that's how that was so top of mind with me. I'm a big broadcast television consumer. I don't mind saying yeah. it. But broadcast is pretty pricey, and so much of your message is about finding economies to pass the value and the savings along so people can mm. afford that phone service now. But do you, do you have any challenge with that being added to the bottom line and ultimately putting you at risk for you know the cool kid to grow up to be the corporate parent of like a Verizon? That's a good question. So as a marketer, you know, what I always talk about with my team is there that that's kind of, I think, another level of assumption we carry with ourselves is oftentimes when we talk about DVC brands or e-commerce, digital first type of businesses, you're all about mm -hmm. this thing. And so therefore your channels are largely that. And that's for the most part true because the places that we've been investing in really laying our foundation to grow and build what we have has been digital channels simply because that's where our storefront is and that's where the path to our storefront leads to. When it comes to the channels of media that we have at our disposal, to me, it's about where and how do you show up? And so the message and the moment matters just as much as the thing in itself. So as you know, we've, you know, for instance, mixed an integrated campaign with billboards mm -hmm. that became a live experience that was driven through social conversations. And so um, in this way, this was more about meeting consumers where they are in this moment, having seen that everyone is craving information and connection. And so therefore, there seemed to be an increase in both the number of people, the types of people who are glued to television. So it was a way to carve out spaces for one of the ways in which we would introduce ourselves, but then really for that to lead straight back to the pipeline of, you know, digital and social channels that we have been building to be able to continue that conversation with consumers um, and hopefully for them to become members. Yeah, that makes total sense to me then. Um, so you have to be broad but selective and and you'll take advantage of different channels and platforms in your media mix as need be. And we are certainly watching a ton more news right now on mm -hmm. broadcast television. I know that. So coincidentally, you came from YouTube yes. and global partner marketing and the media teams there. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know how much like YouTube 
TV you're actually buying, but you are kind of an expert at growing communities. Yes. And so I have a question as a consumer. Mm-hmm. You have a product as part of the visible line called Party Pay. Yes. Tell me why someone wouldn't opt to do Party Pay. Yeah, that's a great question. And by the way, I don't yeah. mean to make this like a commercial. I'm seriously curious about this kind of disruptor product. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I well, I will try to give you fun stories you would want to listen to anyway. Um, <laughs> so as far as our, our party pay product feature goes, it kind of goes back to what you pointed out from our, our messaging in our current ad, which is trim the fat. And trim the fat isn't about you know, everything that is as is, is bad. And this is the only way to go forward. But this is about giving consumers choices, right? So of course, there will still be people who would prefer to go to stores to do certain things. Like I myself have different preferences, depending on what I'm buying as to wanting that tactile, like physicality versus being able to just do my business online. So for us, this is about offering that option to those who people who would prefer to do so. And, and party pay in a similar way came about from that desire to not necessarily have to have everything under the sun to be able to serve consumers. Meaning what we saw in our research and conversations with consumers was that a lot of people were using family plans to save money, which makes sense, right? Because the more you people you have in your group, the lower your bill goes down per month. But we were surprised by how many people were not family who were in family plans. Okay. And so as you know, how family plan works is there's usually one person who's like head of the family or the account holder. So that person's in charge of paying the bill. And so in the more traditional sense that mirrors the the idea of family is that a parent is in charge of the bill and then there will be the rest of the family who are joined there and so you don't even actually know what your phone bills are given, you know, depending on what your relationship is mm-hmm. or you send the check or Venmo money, but then all the way to the spectrum of people who literally do not want anything to do with each other anymore, like exes in relationships, (laughs) but they're still on a family plan together because you don't want to pay more money for for the bill. Like you just hacked it. So why break that system Mm -hmm. and just be grownups about it? And so again, one person sends money to the other. And you know what? Once we read enough of those stories and heard enough of those stories, it just goes to show you that people are smart, right? Like they're they're gonna figure out ways to do what's best for their choices. The rate plan gymnastics that people are doing was just insane. <laughs> rate plan gymnastics. I love that. Yes. <laughs> in the year of the Olympics. Uh, So we thought about, well, some people have asked of us, you know, before we create a party plan, like, when are you going to have some sort of a group plan? But then having seen kind of these insights and, and how that mirrored to a lot of the appetite and behavior of the kinds of people who found beauty in our product, we decided, okay, we will have our own version of a group plan which is that EB, you and I are on single line visible plans and we literally create a party name so we can call it um, EB's party. And then we join our accounts, but we do not share account information. We do not share our unlimited data. 
you still pay for your own bill. I still mm-hmm. pay for my own bill. So with two of us now, our bill goes down from 40 to 35. You bring in one more person, I bring in one more person. And if we become party of four, mm-hmm. then each of our bills go down to $25 because every person you add $5 oh. gets shaved. So this is an attract and retain strategy. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's, I mean, you know, the other fascinating part about this is that um, a lot of the times it is like this, where we know each other from a previous setting, Mm -hmm. we may not be family, but because, you know, we're not sharing everything, people feel comfortable, right, doing Mm -hmm. this. But there's actually quite a few people who are visible members and are on party plan who are complete strangers. Uh, okay, it makes sense now. And now that I understand the the sort of business rationale to it, all right, I think I might have to create EB's party because, after all, I am drinking solo anyway these days. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, now, one of the things I I think I read in in the kinder, gentler version of your product, uh, which it is, is that um, like this party pay thing was pretty attractive to returning Peace Corps volunteers and Mm. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the, I think, part about humanity I personally find fascinating is again, before, you know, COVID and everything, we used to get into cars with strangers, right, through car sharing services. And so the degree to which we are willing to not only accept but embrace the dependency or or interdependency we have as a community outside of people who are blood relations has been uh, interesting and and certainly some of these choices come from a place of i have to do it right like to be able to afford this or or be able to do that so when i think about the psychology behind that it totally makes sense that people are doing this with with our product also. And so the Peace Corps example that you mentioned is um, about eight or 9,000 of them got recalled to the United States really suddenly because of the pandemic. And arguably, you know, I'm sure you know folks who have been in Peace Corps before, but those are the people who seek home wherever they go. It's not the physicality part of it, but it's the place you serve and the people you meet and the community create. So I can't even imagine for them how abrupt that must have been, right? Just suddenly you leave behind everything you've been putting your efforts into, come home and you find yourself like plopped into the situation. So I was really touched when one of my colleagues had reached out to me and said, hey, my friend just came back and there's 8,000 more of those people who are looking to quickly settle roots back into this country, including looking for a US-based cell phone service. So we ended up creating a Facebook group for them to help facilitate conversations about who are, who we're about, what do you get for, what you pay for, and why do we exist? And also, as needed, facilitate some of the creations of the parties that they ended up doing. So those are the moments that show me kind of the people behind who we're serving. And that is another example 
example of Minjay building community and being a digital leader. Now, also that that kind of segues into your own personal experience too. I know from our uh, our last conversation, which I'll link to uh, in the show notes, but mm-hmm. it, you have lived East Coast, West Coast, but you are Korean born yep. and lived in Canada, yep. and. How has some of that really shaped your experience as a leader? And then part two of that is from that experience, what thoughts do you have on what hope there is for our path to embracing more diversity given our times right now? Yep. I think a lot of us are conditioned, especially in in workplaces to right, like check your personal self at home and show up with your professional face and this is no place for xyz topics and so there's a lot of compartmentalization and separation that happen as a result for me i i, I want to say like the first 20 years of my life <laughs> was living by other people's rules where because i was a child yes i was younger but also kind of the school environments or the cultural norms were set by conformity standards, right? Like here are the ways in which you need to be, you know, you probably shouldn't talk back and keep your opinions to yourself. And they're down to like your school uniform. And and so I want to say that I was this kind of a person and now I'm this other kind of a person, but it wasn't even that. It's more like the first 20 years, I was too busy worrying about what are all the rules that I have to follow to be a good citizen in the context of where I am right now, that I don't know that I truly even gave space to think about what would I say or how do, who am I? Like, how do I want to be? So then the next 20 years, you know, college and, and onwards have been truly like letting go of some of that expectations of myself and, and exploring who I really was. And still, I would say there are assumptions that you run into, right? Whether it's in school environments and work environments. And and it, it took me every single time introspection and work to figure out how much of this do I take in and internalize versus how much of this is more perception-driven things that I listen but move on from. And so all that to say, you know, with with everything that's happening right now, I wish I could say I'm surprised, but I'm not. Because I think anyone who's ever been put in a situation where you're made to feel like you don't belong somewhere, you know, like I have two different degrees and I work my butt off to get the jobs that I have. And yes, I have the pedigree, but I also know enough that my belonging, my existence are conditional depending on other people's perception and where I am. So while I am one woman and I certainly do not understand the experience of a black man or a black woman's life in America, I can imagine what that must be like. So with what I know, I know, and what I don't know, I don't know. What I'm really trying to do is one, create the spaces for people, myself, my team, our business, family, Mm -hmm. for them to really sit with this 
and listen and feel because everyone's level of knowledge and emotions around this will be in different places, particularly those people who are in Black communities and are having to live their everyday lives on top of everything that's going on right now. The other thing is action first and message follows. So I'm thinking about that a lot, both in my personal life as to what is my part in this and what are the conversations I have with my girls and how we show up and for this to be part of our everyday conversation and not shield them because the world isn't perfect. Like I need to do my part as a parent to grow human beings who are aware and then do their part. So there, there's a, a lot to listen and take in and, and process, but also being a doer, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to hold myself back one step to make sure that I'm not rushing to what I think are the right things to do, but what ultimately, you know, the community needs, people need. Yeah, thank you. And I know that you also have been very intent on mentoring women and acting as a a role model. I'll I'll ask you a a final question, Minjay, just to sort of wrap that part up. How are you leading differently these days? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, you're standing in your closet right now. (laughs) Yes. I, there are two, two parts to that question. I think first one is um, trying to be more purposefully and intently present in the conversation because, I mean, it's the same with like a marketing message too the first impression or the first moment, even with people you see every day or talk to every day is different because you don't know where their headspace is, what meeting they just came out of, or did you just have to go change diaper or like, don't know. So at least giving the space and opportunity for people to bring that in at the beginning of conversations has been part of every, you know, one-on-ones or meetings before we get to the thing that we got to do to figure out how are we doing? Mm. Because, you know, the thing that we probably need a whole other hour hour to talk about Mm -hmm. the future of work. Yes. Like, you know, is this an opportunity for us to not just react to what is going on, but is this an opportunity for us to really highlight the issues that have always been there in terms of the inequality between men and women at work and things like family leave and how we measure people's value by productivity in ways that probably are not sustainable right now. So that probably plays a big part um, in how I'm thinking about how to show up as a leader. I think that there is a a capital E for what that is all adding up to. It's empathy. It's the quality that I first noticed about you and it's your through line, Minjay. So um, I think that you've just mentored a bunch of listeners (laughs) in abstentia. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts, for uh, sharing some insights into how you you know, have 
pivoted, as they say, and and for how we can all try to move forward in, in this world as, as marketers and as people. I love talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Well, I hope you got some good inside scoop from this episode of Insider Interviews with me, E.B. Moss. And I also hope that you'll rate, review, subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. You know the drill, Apple, Stitcher, Google, iHeart. Thanks again for listening.